Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of Through the Eyes of Joey. This is going to be our officially last episode for this series. Uh, the series itself took us to a journey back in time to a location where a lot of wild and wonderful events took place, Chicago uh, and beyond. Uh, but it took place uh, in Chicago mostly for Josephine Joey Bowden and uh, Harold Sobel. Uh, mostly, though, through the eyes of Joey and this podcast series, we were actually uh, discovering how Josephine herself had viewed her childhood, how she perceived uh, Chicago to be in, through the eyes of uh, a, a child and a teenager growing up in a very fast-paced urban uh, setting. We didn't hear too much in this podcast series um, uh by Josephine about her husband, Harold Sobel, my father. But uh, that will be something that we can do in another series. We're going to be looking at the Sobel uh, clan, the clans that were associated with them in another series. But this series primarily focused on the writings of Josephine and some of her stories uh, that she had shared with her children. This uh, this episode is actually a continuation of the last episode, which was uh, episode 14, The Fighting Irish and Other Ethnic Concepts. If you'll recall, Joey was talking about the fighting Irish ancestry, her Irish ancestry and uh, other immigrants that had found their way to Chicago starting in the mid-1800s. And uh, they were still coming in through Ellis Island into New York and heading into Chicago, even when Joey Bowden and Harold Sobel were children. And as I'd said in other podcasts, they had their own neighborhoods. And uh, it wasn't a, a big deal, really, in those days, there wasn't a need for the um, pulling people together. They had their own ethnicities. They had their own cultures and ways of doing things. Uh, they had their own language in many neighborhoods. And uh, for that alone, there was a sense of security for them. And that was allowed. It was a early part of America. And uh, that kind of, hmm, I guess... Uh, Huddling together in different neighborhoods was was comforting for them, and it was comforting for other cultures who also wanted to cleave together and experience their own traditions in their own neighborhoods. And if you remember, at the last episode, I left off rather abruptly. It was an hour episode, but I left off on how much uh, we have to thank the Chinese uh, culture for working so hard to build our railroads because they did do that in the um, mid-1800s and into the 1900s. They helped lay a lot of rail track across the United States of America. And uh, Joey, of course, Joey Bowden, was talking about how the um, Chinese uh, immigrant on the railroad, if they weren't adhering or they got in trouble or whatever, they're 
they would be subjected to a, a terrible indignity and they would have their cue, their pigtail cue cut off. But of course, here in America, we didn't understand why they had the cue. We didn't understand the political implications of uh, why they were still wearing it here in America. But they wanted to go back to China and they wanted to assimilate back into Chinese culture very easily and not stand out or not suffer punishment uh, from not adhering to the particular government mandates in China at the time. And so we just didn't have an understanding of what, what that was all about. All we thought was if we cut their hair off, it was a, a terrible uh, thing for them. It was terrible in more ways than what we probably understood, which is what Joey Bowden was trying to say. But in the last parts of her her writings uh, in the chapter we discussed under the Fighting Irish, which is Joey Bowden, the Egans were Irish, the Fahys were Irish, that was Joey Bowden's um, mother's side. They were both very Irish, all of them. The four clans were Irish. And then on her father's side, the Bowdens, there was Michael Bowden, who's English-Irish. He married uh, Bridget O'Toole. The O'Tooles were, were uh, Irish. and uh, And so... There was mostly Irish now. Um, and so f- as far as Joey Bowden was concerned, that was who she was. She saw herself as an as a Irish by her ancestry. Michael Bowden, not so much. If you looked at how he perceived himself, there's a coat of arms that we have. And um, I have the very last seal mark stamp seal of the coat of arms of the Bowden family. It was given from a woman by the name of, I believe it's Agnes Bowden. Uh, she was, uh, she was from Minnesota as well. And, um, I have that actual seal. It, uh, had, or I'm sorry, it was, a it was a stamp Mary Bowden on it. MB the uh we can't i haven't been able to determine what the relationship between mary bowden uh who married a gentleman by the name of colshaw was to michael bowden but nonetheless i have the envelope that the seal came in and so they had some kind of conversation my point here is that i think what michael bowden was trying to say to joey bowden because he gave that seal to her that stamp and said we have a coat of arms uh it were English. So perhaps Michael was trying to pull away a little bit from uh, just his Irish background and, um, and, and cite that he was also English more than anything. Um, maybe he was proud of that. I don't know. But in any event, the Irish ancestry was strong in Joey's memory. So I will continue with her last very small bit of writing regarding the Irish immigrant uh, and prejudice. Joey writes, 
The blacks and the Chinese were infringed upon unmerciful and mercifully. However, the Irish were totally insulted. Did you know many Boston restaurants? I wonder who owned those restaurants, she prefaced with two question marks, had signs. Did you know many Boston restaurants had signs in their windows that said, quote, no dogs or Irish allowed, end quote. She put an exclamation point at the end of that. Wouldn't all of this discrimination fire their determination, the Irish, to succeed in the working force? They, the immigrants, they didn't have welfare or disability checks or the likes of this, like what we have in our day and age. They went to work. The Irish, they, they loved music. They loved to sing and dance and have a good time as much as they could, as much as they could get. It kept up their spirits. And the Irish had a good sense of humor too, like my mother did and like my grandfather did. As for the, quote, fighting Irish, end quote, they could oblige you with their fists if they wanted to. But overall, the Irish were hardworking, and they didn't ask for much. The Irish immigrants in America could be droll, morbid, superstitious, super sensitive, but resigned if tragedy struck. Their faith in God sustained them. And that is the end of her testimony and her writings about her memories. There are some historical notes I will add at this point. Avram Noam Chomsky is an American linguist, philosopher, cognitive scientist, historian, social critic, and a political activist. He was born December 7th, 1928, and he died at age 91, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But he was quoted as saying, And this is the quote, the Irish retreated horribly, even here in Boston. For example, in the late 19th century, they were treated pretty much like African-Americans. You could find signs here in Boston in the restaurants saying, quote, no dogs and Irish, end quote. And so I think on that note... I'm going to recap a little bit. So there you have it. It must have felt, even though I had said in the uh, 14th episode that many immigrants who assimilated much easier did so because they could speak the language, they could speak English, um, that could be maybe where it stopped. I had mentioned, well, they were white. Um, the settlers here in America were white, so maybe there was uh, some similarity there. And so they were given jobs over others. But when we look at how they were, how the Irish were looked at in society, they were low, they were low on the totem pole, even though In my research, most of the people in the Chicago Police Department were Irish. 
um, they were moving up the ranks very quickly. They were quite a powerhouse. I would even call them, in terms of how it was used very fluidly in Chicago, calling it the machine, the political machines. I would say the Irish were their own machine uh, and had pretty much cornered the market on law enforcement in Chicago to a large degree, even during the time that Helen got on the police force. I've had the ability to research many of the police digests that were put out in those days in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. And uh, it was a police digest that was produced, I guess as a PR campaign probably, Um, but it was produced uh, for the Chicago Police Department. And it was somewhat of an internal publication, but most of the names there in that publication, most of the police officers, a lot of them, they're they're Irish, most of them. So uh, even though she is alluding to the fact that the Irish were kind of down there, as she's trying to put it with, the African-American community uh, and the Chinese, she also did cite, Joey did, that you know they didn't, they didn't go into the fields and they weren't picking the cotton per se, the Irish immigrants, but there were signs on restaurants saying no dogs and no Irish. So they had their place um, in society as immigrants, but they had to work pretty doggone hard to raise their social profile. And uh, I think they did it pretty quickly in Chicago. The, um, the recap of this series, which has been many, many hours of uh, putting it together for you, you I, probably 15, what, 15, 16 hours now of going back in time and traveling to Chicago and Minnesota South Dakota, uh, some, uh, some pieces of Iowa we've traveled to. But overall, as I'd said originally in the beginning, this was written testimony from Josephine Ann Bowden and some testimony shared from her childhood. And uh, we, I didn't, I didn't do so much, as I said, on the Sobel part the Sobel clan study. Uh, this was more of the Bowden O'Toole, Egan Fahey clan analysis through Joey's eyes. Uh, there was some mention of uh, Harold Sobel in her testimony because Josephine had met Harold Sobel in Chicago at Sullivan High School. And they took a shine to each other and they dated a little bit, and it didn't work out so well. So, uh, and I, I think I had told the story of that, uh, but I will recap it one more time, because that's probably how I'll lead into the next series when we begin talking about the Sobel Engerlander Grossman Mendelssohn clans, which is the clans that Harold Sobel, my father, came from. Uh, the story of my mom and dad, and they, they met in Sullivan High, like I said, and they dated for just a little bit. 
they had had a um, maybe from what I can get, glean from my mother's story, and she told it a couple of times. Uh, they had been dating. They dated a little bit, three or four times. Uh, nothing heavy duty, obviously, because my mother's my grandmother. She was a police officer. But yet my father was a very young, respectful young man. And at Sullivan High, he was in the ROTC. So he was wearing a uniform um, by the age of 16. Uh, I have the Sullivan High School yearbook that I purchased. And there he is, you know, looking at you, this young, young man wearing an ROTC uniform. So he was already a fine um, individual in high school, my dad. Harold. But um, they were dating, and I guess uh, there was some, as I said, some pressure coming at them from both sides. Maybe not so much coming from Helen and Michael, because Helen Bowden was out in the field, and she was uh, circulating around all different kinds of ethnicities and cultures as a police officer. You'll recall she even had Bertha Warshawski and her husband come and live with them for some time during the uh, the arson queen case where she had gone out and got uh, kosher pans and kosher utensils and would go to the kosher butcher and get special cuts of meat for Bertha Warshawski um, and her husband. And then she also took in a, a, a friend's daughter, Sally Seltzer, who was Jewish, so I don't think my grandmother was putting too much pressure on my mother, but my dad had alluded to the fact that he was dating my mother, and in his in his peer group, um, they didn't know why he was dating Josephine Bowden. Um, she was a Gentile, and my dad, my father, Harold Sobel, had said it was they had suggested to him, his buddies, hey, we've got, you know, we've got our own girls. And definitely I can speak for the fact that I know that Alexander Sobel had uh, very little interest in my father, Harold Sobel, dating Gentile women. They definitely wanted my father to be uh, moving in his own cultural and ethnic circles. And for whatever reason, my father looked at uh, Joey Bowden and his heart went thumpity thump and he asked her out. So they had gone out a couple of times. There was some pressure there. And a buddy had told him that uh, he had got this really good looking gal lined up and they were going to double date. And my dad had told his friend, I can't go out with you guys on a double date. I'm going out with Josephine Bowden tonight. And uh, or tomorrow night, it was a very short period of time uh, that he found out there was this double date opportunity with his buddy. And his buddy said, cancel it. Cancel it with, with uh, Josephine Bowden. You got to go out and double date with us. So my father called up Josephine, Joey Bowden. And in the awkwardness of youth and not knowing how to lie very well, and not thinking too far ahead, uh, he told my mother that 
he couldn't take her out that night because he had broken his leg. And um, he, he had graduated from high school, I think, at this point. He was, I mean, at this point, I think he was out because how could you say that and think, you know, you're not going to see them at school the next day and have a broken leg. So my mother, though, was still in high school. So they had met in high school. My dad graduates, and then she's still in high school. I think he was born in 1918. She's 1921. So he's three years older than she. So anyway, he says he breaks his leg, and he can't go out with her. And my mother is beside herself, feels so bad for Harold having broken his leg. My grandmother, Helen, gets home from work. She's the police detective. She gets home from work, and uh, she says to her daughter, Joey, I thought you were going out with Harold Sobel tonight or today for a date. And my mother proceeds to tell Helen Bowden, her mother, well, I, Harold called. I feel so bad for him. He, he had an accident. Uh, something happened, and he broke his leg. And he, he obviously canceled the date. At which point, my grandmother was very worried uh, about Harold having broken his leg. She liked my dad. She had met him. And uh, she thought to herself, well, I'm a police officer. If something's happened, I maybe I can uh, assist or I can get some help for him or find out more about it or at least bring something over to find out how he is. And in good faith, she did that. She, she went by herself over to uh, the Sobel's house. And uh, because my dad was, my father was living, my father was living uh, with his mother at that point. And so was my uncle Irwin. So they knock on the, she knocks on the door, Helen Bowden knocks on the door. And my grandmother, my other grandmother, Hazel Sobel, answers the door. And my grandmother says to my other grandmother, Hi, you know, I'm Josephine Bowden's mother. And Hazel Sobel says, Oh, yes, I know who you are. And Helen Bowden says, I'm so sorry to hear my daughter Josephine told me that your son broke his leg. And I'm so sorry to hear about this. If there's anything I can do, you know, Mrs. Sobel, I'm a police officer, a detective. If, if something's happened, is there anything I can do, please let me know. I'm happy to help. And if there's anything I can do to help you or Harold, please let us know. We, we feel so bad for him. He's such a nice young man. And that was at the point that my grandmother, Hazel, I remember her t saying to me, she said she had stood there looking at Helen Bowden, and she said, my son Harold didn't break his leg. I don't know where you got that information from, but that's not correct. And at that point, my father came out from the kitchen. He was eating something, and Helen looked at my dad, and my dad looked at Helen, and my dad said he wanted to just die because now Helen Bowden's standing there at the front door feeling very badly about Harold having broken his leg. And she's now looking at Harold, and there's nothing wrong with his leg at all. In fact, he's eating. He's shoveling a sandwich into his mouth. And Hazel said, I don't, this, Harold's fine. I'm not quite sure what happened. And I don't think much else was exchanged 
at that point. Uh, I do remember my dad saying, he remembered Helen Bowden saying something like, oh, I see Harold has made a miraculous recovery. Good to know. Well, I'll just be going now and I'll, I'll let you two, I'll let you two be. I'll let Joey know that uh, Harold is just fine. He doesn't, uh, he's miraculously recovered from his broken leg. Thank you very much. And that was it. And uh, so, dusting the dirt off your hands, as it is, uh, Helen bid Hazel a fond adieu, and uh, Helen Bowden went back home and proceeded to tell my mother that Harold had indeed not broken his leg at all. And my mother uh, told me that she was brokenhearted, that she didn't really understand why. She did. She's, she didn't understand why Harold, why he had done that. But my father had told me why he did. He had pressure. He got pressure from his, his peeps to, uh, to not be going out with a Gentile. And uh, he said his date, he said, I was set up, he said, with a Jewish girl who uh, had... Uh, the middle name of, uh, she, she was known as the American Beauty, like the American Rose. Rose um, American something. He said she was a very good-looking girl. Um, he said she wore bright red lipstick, but it was okay in their community because she was on her way up. She was very popular. But he said, I went out with her. It was a double date with my buddy. And he said, I had an absolutely horrible time. And he said, and I felt so horrible having done that to Joey Bowden. He said she was such a sweet girl, uh, very innocent. He said, you know, she had a police, uh, a police woman, mother, and uh, a father who worked at the postal office. Very, you know, they didn't have much, but he said, I mean, it was very innocent. She's a very sweet girl. And he said, and I lied to her. So he always had a bad conscience over that, which is why years later, when he was in Los Angeles, uh, he looked her up and they, he must have, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that apology. (laughs) Because I don't think they spoke after that. My mother had indicated that that was it. I mean, when Helen Bowden came home and told Joey Bowden that there's nothing wrong with Harold's leg. It is not broken. You have been lied to. Um, And I don't think he's the kind of guy you want to be with. Uh, My mother, she said, you know, when I was done, I was done. And I know how that goes. I kind of got that in me, too. When I'm done... I'm done. You ain't seen nothing until I care less. And that's the way I roll. And so, um, you know, you can, you, can, you can work on me a few, and I'll be very sweet and nice, but, you know, I only take it to a certain point, and then when I'm done, I'm done. Well, Joey, she, my mother told me I was done. She said, I thought, well, that's it. She never spoke with him again. She said, do you know, she said, I saw your father a couple of times after that. And she said, and I had one opportunity, she said, where I was walking, 
She said, because we lived kind of close to each other, but she said, I was walking with my friends and I saw him. And she said, and he tried to catch my eye. And she said, I completely walked by your father. I ignored him as if he didn't even exist. She did that a couple of times with my father. Uh, she didn't even look his way. He was, he was dead to her and she was done. And so, um, they got a little chuckle out of that actually years later because my father did agree that Joey had snubbed him. He said, she said, he said she would, she walked by, walked by my father and she literally, he said, put her nose in the air as if it was, there was a stench and she walked by my father, didn't even look at him. So I don't know how my father reingratiated himself into her life in, uh, in LA. Um, I'm sure through, um, uh, copious mea culpas, <laughs> although they didn't date very long. My mother had said that, uh, he looked her up. He gave her a call at the Hollywood studio club. And my father said, you know, hi, Josephine, this is Harold Sobel. I don't know if you remember me. And my mother said, I, I, she said, I was on the phone. I said, oh yes, I, I remember you. And he said, well, uh, Josephine, I, I hope we can let bygones be bygones. Uh, I, I did a very bad thing. You know, I apologize very much. And, uh, I never have forgotten you. Uh, I always, I always thought you were a very, very nice young woman. And I really did like you a lot. And I listened to my buddy and I was listening to my parents and, uh, they were telling me uh, that, I needed to be with my own and I should do this and I should do that. And I listened to them, but I'm out here in Los Angeles and I've heard, and I don't know how he heard, but he said, I heard that you are out here too. And I, I would like to see if we could get together for a dinner or a drink. And, uh, I think they went for a drink and then they did a dinner and then they did another dinner because my mother had indicated that they were they went on about three dates, four dates at the most, and that's when my father asked Joey Bowden to marry him, and she had to think about it. She didn't say yes right away. She made him, she made him wait. She waited a couple of days. Um, she thought it over. And she decided to do it. I think maybe those three or four dates went fairly well. Um, she said my father had a good sense of humor. He was very intelligent. He was fun, handsome. She really liked him. She liked him then in Chicago. See, she liked him even in high school, but he blew it. So I guess if he hadn't done that in Chicago, they probably would have married in Chicago. Um, the interesting part of this, which is, a, I think, a good tie-in for the next series, but the interesting part is my mother had had said in one of her uh, 
in one of the episodes that I read to you that she just didn't understand why people had such a problem with Jews and blacks and people of different ethnicities, that she didn't understand what the problem was. There's not a problem, she said, unless you make it a problem. Why was there so much anger over somebody being different if the way the Egans looked at it and the Bowdens looked at it was if you come here to America and you work hard, you get a job, you work hard to, to become a good American, you're patriotic, you pay your taxes, uh, you don't live off of the system, you're entitled to every right, benefit, respect of the next guy, the next gal. And that's how my mother was raised. So she was raised with that concept in mind, okay? Um, so morally, socially, uh, my mother did not make a distinction between a Jewish individual and an Irish individual and an African-American black individual or Chinese, nothing. In their home, there was no distinction on that. Uh, there was no difference on that. If you did the right thing and you had your jobs, you were equal to everyone else and deserved that equal respect. I think where my mother had a different concept around another aspect of it was she was seeing Jewish as an ethnicity, um, whereas my father had indicated sometimes that it was, you were Jewish by religion. And my father had actually said that to me once. He said, I'm not Jewish. Um, Jewish is a religion. Uh, so that is something that could be up for debate. One might, one might look at that and think that could be a whole different episode. Uh, is being Jewish simply a religion or is it an ethnicity? Is it a culture? Um, and so if we go down those rabbit holes, that would be something where we would talk about even Ancestry.com or 23andMe. Because a big thing right now is is that, you know, you're not Jewish unless your mother is Jewish. There's a whole way of determining whether you are actually Jewish. And if your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish. And yet, if you take an Ancestry.com genetic coding test... You know, I come up 40-something percent Ashkenazi Jewish. Um, so how, how do you make that distinction then when you know that now these individuals who are taking these genetic tests are showing as Jewish? Um, so before it was the old... The old protocol was, I don't know you're, you're uh, Jewish. I know if your mother is that you are because you came from your mother's body and therefore you are. To say you are Jewish 
uh, when your mother is not, uh, you're not. Because if your mother is not Jewish and you did, but say your father is Jewish, I don't know that's your father. I know your mother is Jewish and you came from your mother, therefore you're Jewish. So that's kind of how that was working. And that's how it still works. But there's a conundrum. There's a, there's a, a real conundrum now because now we have these genetic tests that are actually proving uh, without a shadow of a doubt that, yes, my mother is not Jewish, but I said my father was Jewish. And I am showing up as Jewish, 40 you know, so you got 60% Irish, you got 40% Jewish. So I, I, you know, there's Jewish in me. So now am I Jewish? So how does that work now? I think there's uh, going to be a lot of debate over that. Some rabbis are saying, um, no, we're going with the old way. The old way is you're not Jewish unless you came from a woman who was Jewish. We don't care about the ancestry tests that say you were 40% Ashkenazi Jewish. It doesn't mean anything to us. Um, and then yet there are some more progressive rabbis that are looking at this and saying, eh, I mean, you know, we can't, we can't deny the scientific evidence that these individuals are indeed, in fact, Jewish. Because what this comes down to is it's maybe Jew Jewish wasn't, Jewish is an ethnicity. It isn't just a religion. It's both. My father had a, was converted to Catholicism once he, uh, and he and my mother determined that they were going to get married. My mother wanted the children raised one way. Um, I think if my mother didn't have a problem with it, my dad might have uh, weaved in some of his uh, Jewish uh, ethnicity and teachings and cultures and traditions. I think he might have done that. I think it, it could have been possible. He was even watching and seeing how it went with my my first brother, Michael David Sobel. Uh, my grandfather, Alexander Sobel, came to visit uh, and uh, saw Michael David, my brother, uh, their firstborn. He was a baby. And he began, I think, to see that the boy was being raised Catholic and Alexander Sobel was never seen again. And he had a falling out with my father over, I don't know what, they had some words. Um, I've heard some stories of what those words were, but I don't think I want to go into it because it's neither here nor there what my grandfather said to my father. Because really it, it didn't have any bearing on anything. Uh, it, it, if you really love your son... If you really know what love is, uh, and if you really love your son's children, these are your grandchildren, and you want to be with your grandchildren, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make religion an issue, uh, because, you know, love transcends, love overcomes everything, real love. So obviously, my father and my grandfather didn't have a great relationship, and they agreed to disagree. 
and uh, my grandfather, Alexander Sobel, stepped out of our, our lives. I never knew the man, obviously. I was, he was gone when I was born, but he only visited, I think, a couple of times to my brother, Michael David, and that was it. But my father converted to Catholicism, and he did so with passion and uh, true devotion um, to the uh, Catholic faith. Uh, He eventually became a very, very devout Catholic. Uh, Maybe it was a stop and start kind of thing, uh, uncomfortable at first for him. Maybe that's some of that in the beginning when my brother was born. Michael David was born, my brother. But um, he and my mom decided to raise the kids as under one religion. Um, my father, you know, would put in his little things here and there. He made great liver and onions. <laughs> I love my father's liver and onions. Um, he would talk to me sometimes about um, uh, the... Uh, um, Yiddish, some Yiddish words, some uh, ideas and concepts um, in the Jewish uh, traditions and ethnicity, the the culture, because I would ask him. Um, And so he was able to somehow make a distinction between Jewish ethnicity and Jewish religion. But uh, overall, he saw himself as... He knew he was Jewish, but he was he was a Catholic religiously. Uh, he wasn't a Jew for Jesus. A lot of people have asked me over the years, oh, was your dad, a, you know, the Jews for Jesus? Um, no, I mean, he wasn't. But he, he does credit his uh, survival uh, from, uh, he went to World War II. He had a very bad Jeep accident in Korea, in the Korean War. And uh, he credits... Uh, his Catholic faith, his his uh, a, a Sacred Heart medal that he had, that he wore, he credits that as being an overall guide and protector for him. So um, I think that's where my parents, where they fell away after Sullivan High, uh, the pressures to, to date within your own neighborhood, <laughs> getting back to the neighborhoods, the Irish and, you know, the Hungarian... Uh, you date in your own neighborhood, you stay on your own side of the street, and you stay in your own lane, and you don't mix it up. Well, my parents were going to mix it up, and maybe they were a, a, a new wave of progression that the older generation just wasn't ready for, um, because my mother never looked back. She just loved my dad so much. Um so they had a they had a they had a good marriage. They had their ups and downs like any marriage, but they had a good marriage. Um, so that's the story of how Joey and Harold Sobel got back together in Los Angeles. My father never talked too much about his days in Chicago. My mother talked about her days in Chicago far more than my dad did. Uh, of the things that my father, Harold Sobel, talked about, he did uh, talk about Wrigley Field and how uh, Al Capone was treated like a Roman emperor when he would go to the baseball games at Wrigley Field in Chicago. 
he participated in observing the throngs of people who stood when Al Capone came to the, the baseball stadium, uh, usually around the first inning. He took a good area in the box, and uh, everyone just, the whole thing, the whole place stopped and just cheered for him. My father also shared some information about what he and his brother did in Chicago. They worked at a soda fountain and uh, department stores. They had to, they, they got jobs fairly early. And my father also shared uh, his relationship that he had with his own father, uh, Alexander Sobel, with me on a few occasions. Um, apparently, my grandfather, Alexander Sobel, was a very persnickety man. He wanted things to be a certain way. He was punctilious. Um, he uh, wanted things to be repaired. He did not like things to be in a state of disrepair. And yet my father indicated that Alexander knew nothing of how to repair us anything. So this is because my grandfather, as you'll remember, um, when I was talking, um, uh, giving you the historical note about the uh, Leopold and Loeb murder trial of the two uh, young men who had killed uh, Bobby Franks, um, after that murder trial, my grandfather hired the maid who had worked at one of the households. And so my parents, my, my father and, and my grandparents were, uh, had a higher economic level than my mother's family did. They had a servant, a live-in servant, by the name of Ellie Swanson. She was a Swedish woman on the census, Ellie Swanson. She lived there in the house uh, with my dad and my uncle Irwin and uh, Alexander and Hazel Sobel. And so uh, because of this, I think Alexander Sobel was mollycoddled growing up as well. His father was Chaim Sobel, or I'm sorry, Samuel Sobel. So Samuel Sobel had come here from Hungary his father was Chaim Sobel. So my grandfather was Alexander Sobel. My great-grandfather was Samuel Sobel. And my great-great-grandfather was Chaim Sobel. They originate from Hungary. They're Hungarian uh, Jewish uh, people. Um, at one point, they're called Bo- they were in Bohemia. They were Bohemians, Czechoslovakians, Slovakians. It was a whole Ottoman Empire kind of thing. But... Um, uh, yeah, so I think my grandfather Alexander was fairly mollycoddled growing up. He Things were just given to him because my great-grandfather, Samuel Sobel, was fairly wealthy uh, in Chicago. He lived in a very beautiful house in Chicago. He had nice houses. Um, and my grandfather Alex wanted things to be clean. He wanted things to be nice, but my dad indicated he didn't know how to fix anything. And he had no desire to learn how to fix anything. And so my dad loved to try to fix things. Um, My dad had a, before he went off to World War II, my dad actually got his contractor's license uh, to build homes. So he he could build. So my dad knew how to put anything together and take anything apart with wood, 
you know, electrical, anything. My dad learned and knew it all. And his father knew nothing. So my dad told me the story. They were in a home. It was on Eastwood, the Eastwood home. And the front door lock was broken. And Alexander, my my grandfather was complaining about the locks, the lock being broken and, and they couldn't get anyone to come and repair it. So my father decided to get in there and try to fix it. But he said he ended up getting in a fight with his father, Alexander, because Alexander kept criticizing my father and saying, what's wrong with you? Can't you fix it? You don't know what you're doing. You know, it, it looks easy. It would, it, but just get in there. Well, why isn't that? That's not working right. Well, figure it out, Harold. And, and he did all of this stuff with my dad. My dad got mad at him. And my father told me, he said, I finally put the hammer and everything down. And I said, you know, you got a big mouth for a guy who doesn't even know how to fix anything. You sure don't have a problem telling me what I'm doing wrong. Well, uh-oh. Yeah, that got my dad in a lot of trouble because he, now he talked back to his dad. Because he said, you got a big mouth, you know, and you got a bad temper, too, because I guess my grandpa had gotten mad, too, at him because he wasn't fixing it. And my dad, he, my dad said he he took the, the hammer and everything and he just threw it down. He said, you do it since you're such an expert at nothing. And my dad took off. He was mad. And uh, he said that was you know, the kind of things he'd, kind of the exchanges he would have with my grandfather, his dad. Um, so there was a rub there, I guess, maybe. His dad expected a lot. He was a perfectionist. Like I said, punctilious, perfectionist, fuss budget. Alexander Sobel wanted things a certain way, but he was a great critic of how it should be, but he didn't know how to do it himself. And my dad, um, and probably was trying to figure out how to do it and wanted to fix the door for his dad and everything. And, and he felt like he couldn't do anything right and he couldn't please his father. And, and so my father had said that was, a, that was an example of the kind of relationship he had with his dad. So there you have it. Uh, that's probably also why maybe there was some strain uh, after my dad married my mother too. Maybe they didn't always have a good understanding as father and son of who they were and how they were going to make amends with each other and, and uh, maybe move into the next phase of their life as grandfather and father. Didn't work out so well. Um, but my mother and my father made a life together. They'd never stayed in Chicago. They never went back to Chicago again to live. After they were married in Los Angeles, my parents uh, moved on. Uh, my dad went into the military. He remained in the military. He was out for a bit, but he went back into the military. And uh, yeah, they never moved back to Chicago. So I think my mother always looked back on Chicago through the eyes of Joey with uh, with good memories. And she had a positive, she was kind of optimistic. She wanted to remember Chicago for the wonderful aspects of it. And my father, for some reason, didn't feel, I didn't hear him talk about Chicago and the really amazing parts of it. But 
maybe that's the difference between my mother being more chatty about it and my father just, you know, being more to himself. It's on this note, I think, that I'm going to close the series Through the Eyes of Joey. It's been a wonderful time sharing these adventures of Josephine and memories that Joey had with all of you. I've heard from some of you during the course of these episodes, and I want to thank you, everyone, for reaching out to me, friends and family. Uh, It's been my honor to put this together for you. And it was also uh, not just an honor to, to do it for all of you. It was an honor to do it for my mother and for the Egans and the Bowdens and the Sobels because they all made a place in a time in history that all these parts and pieces made us who we are. And it's nice to hear these stories being told to us. This is what passing down family stories is about. It's almost as if you're sitting in front of a radio all over again, listening to somebody tell you a story. Before television, before all of the visual media came to pass, the stories that people tell you about your family create a tradition. They set kind of a tone for who we are, And it's nice to know who these people were, how they were formed, what how they came to be, because it kind of informs us how we came to be. And so in terms of this series, I end by telling you all that I've so enjoyed sharing this time with you. The next series, like I said, will be uh, possibly... It's going to be about the people that I feel I want to talk to you more about. Um, George Bowden, Mary Bowden, Harold Sobel, uh, more of the ancestry. I can't share documents with you that I have because I can't show them to you. But I can read some great stories to you uh, that were printed in the papers about them. And some good information about who the Sobel family was and where they came from. It's a fascinating story. So until we meet next time, I wish you all uh, well. Uh, Stay safe. Uh, Keep uh, sheltering if you can. Uh, This um, pandemic will pass. Uh, We are a hardy group. We are a hardy species. And uh, this family is strong. We take care of each other. We love each other. And I say that for my friends too. To my friends, you are my family. I wish you all well. I love you all very much. And I will start a new series uh, very, very soon. Take care, everyone.